And, you know, there's that photo, I don't know if you saw it, over what was happening in the stands in Tokyo, and it freaked me out. You know, we were feeling so sorry for the fans and the athletes and the families because there's no one in the stands. And then you see the photo of a concentrated amount of people in their support groups and the rest of the team. Boy, there are masks under the nose. There are no masks at all. These people are screaming and yelling and close to each other. And what were we to think? All this worry about COVID and the Olympics. And then you see that snapshot. Yeah, we understand they're cheering. But boy, oh boy. Are they really following any protocols? It's an unusual Olympics. We know there has been wariness from the host city. There often is. This was intense. It wasn't about something small. It wasn't even about politics. It was about health. And what would happen when people from all over the world converged on Tokyo and then we start reading and hearing reporting on how this is playing out and our hearts go out to the athletes here. How can they possibly do their job and faster, higher, stronger and all that when they're having to follow these protocols? Maybe some of them aren't. Joining us is we uh, the Barry Pakes, who's a professor at the Dalai Lana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. Barry, thank you for being here. Hi, good afternoon. You know, we've been watching the Olympics. We've gone through phages and stages here, and we're seeing the spirit kind of catch on. But I'm sure you saw the picture and the coverage that I'm talking about, that there didn't seem to be a lot of strict protocols, certainly when it came to what was going on in the stands. You know, we're also seeing athletes deal with this. How do you compete? They seem to be doing all right. What kind of messaging are you getting, though, from Tokyo, and why is it important? Well, you know, there's so many things going on there, of course, when we're when we're thinking about COVID and, and the and the games, um, you know, there, there's there's the, the fans and, and the impact on Japan on the host country. And then there's the athletes themselves and all of the staff that come with them, many, many tens of thousands of people. Um, and, and, you know, there have been over 153 um, cases related to the games now and, and almost 20 of those have been in athletes. And and that's pretty small. And and but it's not zero. And, you know, they do have all these protocols, you know, within that sort of bubble of those who are athletes and those associated with them. And they have all kinds of protocols associated with those who are, you know, helping out manage the games and the, and the folks that are coming to, to view it. Um, but, you know, at some point there very well may, may be a break. And, and that's really the worst case scenario that we're all hoping to avoid. Yeah, there is. And when we see what is happening in the stands, what kind of a message does it send? Tokyo has been really under the crosshairs since they announced and then they had, you know, citizens and, and many people in Japan saying, just just dump it. I mean, let's not forget just last week there was an announcement if the cases started to rise, the whole thing was going to come apart, although not too many people believe it. You know, are we going to learn something about athletic performance as we watch this? Are we are we seeing athletes facing something else? Are we asking for something else? It's happened in our political leadership, hasn't it? We've asked for that extra quality. Are we asking for that extra quality from athletes now? 
Well, so uh, sorry, you, you cut out for a little bit there, but I, I want to address the first thing that you said, you know, what we're actually seeing in terms of, um, you know, the protocols that are in place and the and, and the folks that are, are watching the, the events and, and how we're feeling about it as Canadians. And I think that's the really important point about the Olympics right now from a public health perspective is this incredible missed opportunity. Because what could have happened is that the International Olympic Committee could have said, you know, absolutely all of the athletes, if they want to compete, and all of their ancillary staff must be vaccinated full stop. And I think that would have sent an incredible message around the world, more powerful than anything our politicians uh, could have told us or, or any of the measures that might, we might have had in place. You know, sort of a, a unifying cry around the world saying that these people who are, you know, at the top of their game, who are wanting to compete and who are incredibly you know, attune with their own bodies and care about their health are getting vaccinated. And, and that could have been the most important thing uh, that came out of the games. And unfortunately that didn't happen. And, and you know, everything that is going on now is, is just sort of, um, you know, an unfortunate piece of the reality that we're, we're trying to enjoy, but yet, you know, it, it's still very far from the ideal. It's so true. You know, when this organizing began, the vaccinations were seen when it came to the Olympics as a solution. Little did we even imagine when this first was being discussed that we would be at the point to be able to vaccinate so many. And I agree with you. If it had been a mandatory vaccination, it would have been a different Olympics, Barry, wouldn't it? I mean, we would have seen how the threat just immediately went down. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it would have been much, much decreased. Um, you know, there, there is still the Delta variant, which, um, you know, you're not 100% protected with the vaccine, but the message it would have sent around the world with everyone around the world watching the games would have made the Olympics into something really to celebrate, truly. And, and we could have felt comfortable celebrating both what the athletes are doing and all of their successes, as well as this real message of unity. Uh, that comes out of it. And, and instead, you know, we're, 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 we're worried all the time as we're watching it about what potentially could happen. And, you know, the worst case scenario that obviously all of us, uh, whether it's the public or public health authorities, are worried about, which is, you know, a potential new variant being sort of created at the Olympics or transmitted there and then going back around the world. It, it's pretty unlikely given the protocols, but it's not impossible. And, and that combination of celebration of the achievements and, and quite a bit of fear is just an unfortunate part that, uh, of the Olympics that didn't have to be there if everyone had been vaccinated. You know, all this is a huge event. That is a, an understatement. And all countries are trying to deal with how we're opening up. Is it making countries nervous? Because we've seen, I know, Germany looking more deeply at having a, a more intense passport. We know even in the UK, by the fall, you have to show proof of vaccination before you even go to a concert. It's not even the Olympics. France doing the same thing. Do you think the countries who are watching and seeing how the Olympics playing out maybe already learning a lesson saying we need to move forward here yeah absolutely i mean the issue of of, of vaccine passports is one you know that we talked about really in, in in april of last year you know when when this all really began and you know the olympics can potentially spur that forward but i think what it's really being spurred forward uh, on a, a national level in all these different countries that you just mentioned is the fact that the delta variant is that much more transmissible and we're recognizing that even when we have very high levels of vaccination and it's, it's terrific that in Canada, um, you know, we have uh, in Ontario, certainly almost 80% of eligible people um, with their first dose, that's just not enough. You know, it has to be 90 to 
and and with many countries recognizing we're not going to get that high, they're rec- you know it's clear that we're going to have to distinguish between vaccinated people and unvaccinated people, and vaccine passports are one way to do that, whether it's inside countries or between countries. All right, let me ask you something. You know, one of the things we're hearing from health officials like yourself is that uh, this is a bit of a journey. Right now, it might be a little too early to put the toe in the water of mandating this. But do you think that the psychology behind this, that we are eventually working towards that? We're hearing this. I know there's a couple of opinion pieces in the papers today saying, you know, like it or not, this is where we're going. Would you agree? Oh yes, I think uh, I think we're more than a toe in the water now. I would say we're we're you know almost up to our waist. Uh, I think we don't have a choice. The fall is coming. It's absolutely beautiful weather right now in Canada. We're all enjoying being outside and and trying not to think of the fall. But the reality is, if we want to have a fall that is free from increased cases and hospitalizations and deaths and new public health measures and lockdowns, the time to act on those mandates is actually now within the next couple of weeks. You know, for kids who want to start school safely, if you don't get your vaccine by August 5th, you're not going to be able to get your second dose by three weeks later and then two weeks later be protected uh, for those who start right after Labor Day. So, you know, unfortunately, right now, we have to be not only just dipping our toes in the water, but very much in the thick of figuring out what this is going to mean. Uh, and, and hospitals, some hospitals have done it. Long-term care have protocols. You know, we're not absolutely mandating it. We're saying either you do this or you have to be tested regularly. But I think we do need to move forward reasonably quickly um, to, to figure this out, both, you know, Ontario level, Canada level and, and globally, because it's absolutely necessary. We just don't want a repeat of last year. OK, very quickly, though, we just heard, you know, there was a news conference by the premier in Ottawa and he's he's still very reluctant. So you say we need to move forward very quickly. They're about to roll out a back to school plan. Um, I hate to tell you this, but we may not be there. Is that a danger in your opinion? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I understand from a political perspective, you know, Doug Ford, and the Conservative Party and, and, you know, their their colleagues in Alberta um, and in the states, as you well know, in, in many states who are very reluctant to even impose mass mandates indoors. You know, it's not part of their political sort of view on things, but, but uh, I think it's very clear. Um, that they, all governments, including ones that view themselves as more conservative as well as the more liberal ones, have to recognize that, you know, either we're going to have um, uh, pretty intense public health measures to control the spread, or we're going to have to have, you know, some kind of a ma- vaccine mandate or something approaching a vaccine mandate. And those are really the only two choices. And, and every government is going to have to figure out which one of those is le- less politically unacceptable to them. And, and I think our government in Ontario is just figuring that out now. And, and hopefully they will, because because those really are the choices. It's not going to be as bad in terms of hospitalization and deaths, but it's going to be such that we can't ignore it. And so, you know, hopefully they will make the right decision. Barry Pecos, Professor Dalilana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. Barry, thank you for joining us. You have a great afternoon. Cheers. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.